the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, Glory America. Dwayne Patterson in for Hugh Hewitt today. He will be back tomorrow. I'm looking at the video feed right now. Rockets, sirens ring across Jerusalem as uh, as we speak. The Gaza City port has been bombed by Israeli Air Force. There have been some targets of uh, of necessity identified by the Israeli uh, Defense Forces, and it has now been taken out in the in the port of Gaza City. Uh, we will continue to follow that, and we remind people at the top of HughHewitt.com, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is partnering with us and the rest of the Salem Radio Network for the rest of the month to work with your donations and our donations and help do an outreach to those that have been dis- uh, dislocated and affected by the terrorist attacks all over the nation of Israel. You can go to the top of com. click on the Israel at War banner. If you just Go to HughHewitt.com, let the banner load, click on that banner, make an emergency donation. Uh, we would be very much appreciated, uh, appreciative if you would do so. 800-235-8877 is the phone number if you want to call. That's 800-235-8877. Or better, just go to HughHewitt.com and click on that banner, the Israel at War banner, and help out the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews so they can help out your brothers and sisters over in Israel who've been affected directly. I'm joined by Byron York, the chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. And while Israel and what's going on is the kind of the overarching story, uh, there is all sorts of stuff happening here domestically that is much more important and is in a much different light because of what's happening uh, overseas. And I'm talking specifically about the speakership battle in the House of Representatives, Byron. You've been following that pretty closely. We got news yesterday that in the House GOP conference, at least, it was a fairly comfortable vote, but there was some peculiarities within that uh, conference, wasn't there, Byron? Uh, we, we have Steve Scalise as the nominee but that doesn't mean that he's anywhere near close to 218 for the House floor. So why don't you set the welcome first? Thanks for being here. And why don't you tell people kind of where we're at with this uh, with the speaker battle? Well, thank you. You know, um, I don't think there's any comfort for anybody. I mean, the bottom line is going into this after the deed was done and, and Kevin McCarthy was removed, uh, Republicans look back to January where they couldn't get their act together, it took them 15 ballots to elect a speaker, and they said, let's don't do that again. Let's just don't do that again. And now it appears they're on the verge of doing that again. If you look at the um, 
at the vote inside the Republican Party yesterday. Uh, they vote, you know, the first thing they do is they vote among themselves for a nominee for speaker. But the speaker him, the, himself, the actual election of the speaker, is a full House vote, means, meaning right. all the Democrats are going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Right. So they got to get 217 Republican votes for a speaker candidate. Well, um, Steve Scalise defeated Jim Jordan 113 to 99. Okay, let's look at that. Apparently, three of the 113 votes that Scalise got were from uh, American territories or direct, uh, protectorates. They don't have floor a vote. vote on right. the floor. So it's 110 to 99. Now, I'm not good at math, but that doesn't add up to 217, even if all 99 who voted for uh, Jordan move over to Scalise. Where are the others? There were eight votes for, quote, other candidates. Remember what what happened in January and then what happened again with the um, rejection of McCarthy is that a very small group of Republicans uh, threw a wrench in the works and McCarthy was not able to get elected and, and last week was not able to keep his job. Um, now you've got a very small group of Republicans who so far are not committed to Scalise. So I, I don't think there's any way Scalise can feel comfortable right now. Maybe they will all get together and avoid this. But it looks to me like he's still five, six, seven, eight votes short. And that's enough to cause terrible, terrible trouble on Capitol Hill. It's it's extraordinarily <laughs> short-sighted and stupid, Byron. It's just stupid. And I'm a, I'm a lifelong Republican and a homer for the Republican Party, but I can't remember a time when the Republican Party nationally has been this self-sabotaging. Well, you know, a, a lot of people think exactly that. Uh, and, you know, what's extraordinary is, um, just judging from my Twitter feed, the extraordinary thing is the, the number of people who supported Matt Gates in, re, in removing McCarthy and who support, you know, somebody now, um, believe that they represent the true majority. Now, in the, in the McCarthy vote, um, as you'll remember, there were eight Republicans who brought McCarthy down versus 210 Republicans who voted for McCarthy. Right. Of course, the eight Republicans joined with 208 Democrats. That's how it happened. And the extraordinary thing, I mean, I, this is what I started off. They said, let's don't do this again. Whatever we do, let's don't do that again, what we did in January. And now it looks like they can't help themselves. They're doing that again. And it's just, it, it's, again, with the backdrop of world events, it's just so myopic and it, and, and, it's short-sighted. I can't even. I can't even begin to explain it. I want to play you a couple of clips from the two um, front runners. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about RFK and his his bid to, mm -hmm. and how that's going to affect. Him. Maybe if we get time in a minute. But I want to get, play you one clip of Joe Biden and one clip of Donald Trump. This is Joe Biden from the White House yesterday at a Jewish roundtable, where he said this. Cut eleven, Harley. Iron Dome, and we moved the U.S. carrier fleet to the Eastern Mediterranean, and we're sending more fighter jets there in that region. And made it clear, made it clear 
to the Iranians. Be careful. Okay, Byron, you've been around D.C. for a long time. You've been around Joe Biden for a long time. Uh, he at least mentioned Iran and in the in the context of the attack on Israel in the same sentence. But what did he mean? What what, what exactly was that? Well, a lot of uh, we, we know this. Um, a lot of Democrats are very, having a, a hard time with what has happened in Israel. Um, and the the thing you're having a hard time with is saying that one side is right and one side is wrong. And there have been a number of articles that have been kind of frankly explored this, that there is a faction inside, the pro-Palestinian faction inside the Democratic Party, that has made it hard for some Democratic leaders to just come out and say, you know, Israel is right and Hamas is wrong. Right. This is, this, that's just the situation here. So um, the, the president has been kind of walking on eggshells. What was interesting um, is if you look at Politico playbook this morning, and they're they're um, they're praising Biden for being absolutely crystal clear on saying this was an act of sheer uh, evil, you know, and, and using strong words. Um, and it said, interestingly enough, it said early drafts of the speech. This is Biden's speech. Early drafts of the speech were far less clear. It was Biden himself who banished any wishy-washy language, which included more interagency input that struck a muddled tone to Biden's ears. I, now, remember the interagency consensus? Oh, yeah. That? Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that is the, the group of bureaucrats who create administration policy, and uh, that is the group that Donald Trump was criticized for bucking the interagency consensus on Ukraine back in 2019. And Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Venman based his entire criticism of the president on his rejection of the interagency consensus. It's the interagency. You can't you can't reject the interagency, can you? Well, obviously, apparently uh, the interagency produced a muddled nothing on Israel yesterday and the president correctly and properly rejected it and gave it more a, a clearer focus. That's what presidents do, by the way. I just wish there was more clarity in Iran. We don't have time to play the cut, but just quick uh, comment. Uh, the president from Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump, last night <laughs> said that Hezbollah was very smart in its tactics attacking from the north. Is that going to bite him at all? Well, probably will. I mean, remember when he said that um, Russia was smart in the way they, you know, handled the uh, yep. the invasion of Ukraine. I mean, that's a really stupid thing to say. It really was a stupid thing to say. Byron York of the Washington Examiner, thanks as always. We will catch up with you next week. Read everything Byron writes over at Twitter, X, at Byron York. Dwayne Patterson in for you. Back right after the break. Stick around. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... 
Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. Dwayne Patterson in for Hugh Hewitt, 33 minutes past the hour. I'm joined by investigative and political reporter extraordinaire out of the Washington Examiner, Sarah C. Bedford. You can read everything that Sarah writes outside of the Washington Examiner over on Twitter X at Sarah C. Bedford. Hello, Sarah. Good to have you. Uh, now she should be unmuted, I think. Sarah, are you there? Yes, I am. Can hey. you hear me? Yep, I can. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. So we have a situation where, as we speak, the Secretary of State and the President in the last 24 hours have once again reiterated their verbal support uh, in solidarity for Israel. And I think that's fine. The words matter. I wish they would say more about Iran and their culpability in this and what they're going to do to hold Iran responsible. But that's you know, picking a nit at this point, they're at least rhetorically saying the right things. But as you write in the Washington Examiner, their actions are especially through state at USAID. Well, that's a kind of a different story, isn't it? Because they've actually the inspector general has some information on there about foreign aid that has gone to Gaza into some specious places. And for kind of a bizarre reason. Why don't you fill people in on this story, Sarah? Yeah, it was actually, you know, somewhat ominous that just a few weeks before this attack, the USAID Inspector General, the agency's watchdog, released a report warning that, you know, there are all these risks to giving aid to the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. And one of them that was being essentially ignored by USAID was the risk that some of the civil service organizations, basically the local charities that USAID could be giving taxpayer funding to and partnering with, could be considered terrorists by the Israeli government. And USAID basically said, well, if we worried about that, we wouldn't have enough groups to work with in the area. And this sort of mirrors what the State Department was saying privately since 2021. We now know uh, from documents that were obtained by a a nonprofit that does oversight from the State Department that Biden administration officials were saying, look, we recognize that restarting this aid to the Palestinians, which Donald Trump had almost completely cut off, uh, we realize this could actually end up really benefiting Hamas, not intentionally, but, you know, if we're going to take over some of these uh, civil services that the Hamas government is supposed to be providing, then, you know, that frees up some Hamas resources to go and do terrorism. We recognize that's a risk, but it wasn't an important enough risk to dissuade them from sending that aid. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, So instead of saying, well, maybe we're going to hold off on this aid because we can't find good people to give it to. They they in, instead had the philosophy, well, we just have to give this money out, so we got to find the least worst options to give it to. 
knowing that it was probably going to go to to fund terror anyway. That's I wrote a piece at Hot Air earlier this week, and it was a little you know, rhetorically overreaching, probably. But I called this Joe Biden's war every bit as much as Charlie Wilson's war was responsible for what happened with the with the Mujahideen booting out the Soviets back in the 80s. Joe Biden's actions helped lead to what happened today. I think there's a, there's that's certainly the argument that you're hearing from Republicans on Capitol Hill, right? Not just because Biden restored started this controversial aid to the Palestinians, which his own government acknowledged had a really high risk of benefiting Hamas, but also because he unfroze a significant chunk of Iranian oil money that Iran, you know, knew for months was coming in and therefore could have easily freed up the Iranians to move around some of their other monies to to fund Hamas and to help execute this operation. And it's very interesting to see how steadfastly the Biden administration has avoided talking about Iran. You know, I watched John Kirby's briefing to reporters yesterday. He basically said the official position of the U.S. is that Iran was not involved, as if after four days they could have made that conclusion. Uh, they looked at all the evidence and, you know, they're saying they don't know anything about the Israeli intelligence failure. But the one thing they could really say for sure is that Iran probably didn't do it. That doesn't really add up. And yet you see the administration really avoiding talking about Iran. There's a reason for that. Well, especially when the president yesterday said he told a, gr- a group of of, uh, of Jewish leaders at a roundtable, I warn the Iranians to be careful. Okay, why would you warn the Iranians to be careful? Does that mean the Iranians did something or they're about? What What exactly does that mean, Sarah? It's it's meaningless. You know, I mean, you can't. These are people who are motivated by a religious ideology. That's something that, you know, the Trump administration, for all its faults, really recognize that this yeah. is not a, a country that you can deal with rationally and try to sort of put Iran back in a box. And the Biden administration has returned to the strategy of appeasement. And I think it's a reasonable argument to make that this could be a consequence of empowering Iran. Uh, let's shift over to what's going on on the in the House GOP conference, because you've kind of written a little bit about that, too. Uh, there is. Uh, there was some some news on the front of the Hunter Biden uh, uh, court battles. The case against him dealing with his plea bargain that fell apart. That case has been dismissed. That doesn't mean a gun charge was what uh, was. Why don't you explain it? What what's going on with Hunter Biden was more of a technicality because of a subsequent indictment, right? Am I understanding that right? Right. You are, but it was actually, it's a pretty significant step because up to now in court, Hunter Biden's defense argument has been these, this indictment on the felony gun charges is invalid because Weiss and Hunter Biden both signed the plea agreement. And Weiss's argument in court had been, okay, well, the probation officer didn't sign it. So it technically never went into effect. And Hunter Biden has not really put forward any defense other than trying to get out of the indictment on the technicality of the fact that the plea bargain and the diversion agreement existed. The judge is saying basically now that Hunter Biden's main defense up to this point is not valid because the plea bargain never went into effect, siding with Weiss. So now Hunter Biden has to come up with essentially an entirely new defense 
for the gun charge that has nothing to do with the sort of process of how the indictment and the plea bargain came about. And they actually have to defend the conduct itself, whether Hunter Biden did purchase a gun illegally as a drug user. So this is a real game changer for Hunter Biden's defense and and not in a good way. Uh, Speaking with Sarah Bedford of The Washington Examiner, uh, speaking of not in a good way, the House GOP conference is still at odds. There's no end in sight. They nominated uh, Steve Scalise, but they do not have 218 or 217 votes on the floor, at least from my count, to make them speaker. So we could be going on in in perpetuity. How does this affect oversight? How does this affect James uh, Comer's uh, committee? We, we, uh, we, We saw news from him this week that Biden contacts in Hunter's business, family business, was in the tens of thousands now, something like that? Yeah, that's right. That was from a FOIA lawsuit. The government just sort of saying this is how many documents we have to go through that's responsive, tens of thousands. Obviously, this puts things a little bit on hold, right? I mean, there's sort of a a general consensus that business can't really take place while there's no speaker. And I think, you know, this could be even more protracted than what we saw with McCarthy in in January when we had 15 rounds of voting. Back then, there wasn't even really an alternative to McCarthy, right? He was the only candidate, and it still took 15 rounds to elect him. Now, Scalise is not the only candidate. There's a significant number of Republicans, 99 of them, who voted for Jim Jordan. So this is not a situation like McCarthy, where he was sort of running unopposed and still struggling to sew up the conference. Scalise is not unopposed, and he's going to have a really difficult time, I think. It's just it's just mind-numbingly dumb. It's just dumb, bad timing, bad optics. There's, there's just nothing good about this. Uh, read everything Sarah writes over at the Washington Examiner and read her tweets and or X's over at Twitter and or X at Sarah C. Bedford. Sarah, thanks as always. We will catch up with you next week. Welcome back, everybody. Dwayne Patterson in for Hugh. 51 minutes past the hour. I am joined by one of my good friends, Jim Talent, former senator from Missouri, senior fellow for the Bipartisan Policy Center. You can read stuff that he writes and link to it over at Jim Talent on Twitter slash X. Jim is the guy that uh, he and I off air have solved all of the world's problems many times over. But uh, Jim, sadly, the world is still broken and it's actually in pretty bad shape right now. Uh, Well, yeah, we have another major uh, war or conflict uh, in the Middle East and it's over Gaza. I think this is the fourth, and it's likely to be the biggest because I think Israel's decided they have to go in and resolve the problem. I mean, the the government has said uh, the explicit objective is to destroy the military capabilities of Hamas, and that's what they're going to do. They, they have to. Out their they side have of the border, to. Striking targets in Hamas now through the air, and I would expect in a couple of weeks uh, the ground invasion to occur. And yep. um, it's the only thing they can do. Okay. So I want to cover in the limited time we have, uh, I, I, I don't want to turn, this isn't funny. This isn't a game show, but I want to play a couple of clips for you and, and, and play what's that mean with, uh, with Jim Talent. We start with Joe Biden, cut number 11. This is yesterday. Iron Dome, and we moved the U.S. carrier fleet to the eastern Mediterranean, and we're sending more fighter jets there in that region. And made it clear, made it clear to the Iranians, be careful. Jim, what does that mean? 
Well, it means that the president anyway, I don't know about the rest of the administration, but the president understands the danger that Iran will trigger Hezbollah to attack from the north or indeed the other elements of radical Islamic terrorism throughout the region uh, to attack. And he's warning them off that. Uh, That's a good thing to do. Uh, if his administration had been stronger in dealing with Iran, uh, this it's possible that Iran would have wouldn't have greenlit this thing in the first place. Yes. One of the dangers here, you, is the more the Middle East looks like it's about the Palestinians, the less able the Saudis are uh, to normalize with Israel. And so, the more the United States says we're going to constrain Iran the more likely the Saudis are to deal with us. And you notice the Saudi uh, MBS, the Saudi king or prince, just had a a phone call with the Iranian president because the more this looks like the Middle East is about the Palestinians, the less room for maneuvering the Saudis have to normalize with Israel. Uh, Cut number two, Harley. And then two nights ago, I read all of Biden's security people. Can you imagine national defense people? And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. You know, I said that President Xi of China, 1.4 billion people, he controls it with an iron fist. I said, he's a very smart man. They killed me the next day. I said he was smart. What am I going to say? But Hezbollah, they're very smart. And they have a national defense minister or somebody saying, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack us from the north. So the following morning they attacked. They might not have been doing it, but if you listen to this jerk, you would attack from the north because he said that's our weak spot. Jim Talent, what does that mean? Well, I mean, I think what the president was saying is that Hezbollah is shrewd in their tactics, which is true. Uh, And he's saying that by advertising a supposed weakness that the Israelis have regarding an attack from the north, uh, the Americans or the United States made that attack more likely. I don't think I agree with that. I think Hezbollah is making their independent determinations about what they're going to do. I personally don't think we're going to see a major attack from Hezbollah. I don't think I think Iran knows what will happen if that were to occur. And I think Iran is 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 going to play a longer game here uh, and they're going to try and prune the Saudis away from Israel. I think that's probably their number one concern. And so I doubt that at least in the immediate future, we're going to see that kind of an attack from the north. I hope. I hope. Uh, the leader of Hamas in his luxury apartment in Qatar called for a day of jihad tomorrow, globally, worldwide. And we have uh, a very porous border with God only knows how many uh, uh, bad actors that have streamed into the country. Are you fearful about what life may be like here in a phase two? Yeah, well, listen, I think if, if you if you were running Hamas or Hezbollah, you've got to be thinking about infiltrating agents through our southern border because it's so porous. <clears throat> that was never my, a major concern of mine because I always thought it was easier for them to get agents in through ports of call like in the northeast. Right. But the south is so open now. It's, it's an open invitation to anybody who wants to come in and injure the United States or engage in crime. 
It's an absolutely senseless, self-destructive policy. And I, it's just, uh, it's, it's inexplicable that we would be following it. Ten seconds. They almost certainly have, have people here now, right? Well, yeah, they have sleeper cells already that they could activate. I mean, everybody believes that. Jim Talent, uh, we will talk all sorts about uh, what the next few weeks mean in uh, in subsequent weeks. You can follow him at Jim Talent on Twitter. Read him over at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Thanks, Jim. We will talk to you next week. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, Three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. We discover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church, streaming at SalemNow.com. Dwayne Patterson in for Hugh Hewitt today. Hugh will be back tomorrow. But Hour 3 of the program rolls along. We begin it with uh, Garrity the Indispensable, and he really has been indispensable this week. Uh, the level of indispensability in, on, especially on Twitter X and the Jolt, has been uh, top-notch from uh, Jim. You can read all of his stuff over at National Review. You can read him in the Washington Post, his column there. You should uh, be a subscriber of the Jolt. I just want to give you just a quick, just a sampling of, of some of the best of Jim Garrity this week. Proportionality is much less important than effectiveness at this moment. Uh, forgive me, readers, but this is another day where the process of writing this newsletter has left me intensely angry, and I suspect reading today's edition will make you angry, too. The Times Square rally laughing about killing hipsters in Israel was Sunday. It only took until Tuesday for local congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to recognize that the rally was not a good thing. And then, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. As noted yesterday, the river is Jordan, the sea is the Mediterranean, so that chant is calling for Israel to disappear between those bodies of water. Jim joins me now. Jim, um, look... I am angered by the attacks on Israel. I am angered that we've got 9-11 all over again, different place, but we're, we're fighting the jihadis again. We haven't learned, and we aren't just on a 9-10 uh, mentality here to me. We've got absolute rising anti-Semitism in this country, and it's it's unnerving as hell, Jim. Yeah. Well, first of all, Dwayne, it is good to... Hear from you as always. It's good to see you. And look, you know I love Hugh, but it is kind of nice to start the weekly segment without. Garrity, before I get started, the backup left guard of the Cleveland Browns has strained his hamstring. We'll get to Israel in a second, but doesn't that strike you as the worst news? That we, I, I kid because I love, but uh, you know, well, there's, there's, this is this is a different and, and 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 to be fair, to be fair, my guess is. 
on a week like this, I don't think you would have yeah. talked about the Jets this week. I don't think you Again, would have. We talked about other Jets, like the Israeli Jets that are apparently striking yes. Damascus Airport as we speak. Yes, uh, that, that is that um, is the news as as we're as we're doing this. Yeah, apparently uh, Syria's uh, the airport in Syria has been bombed. Yeah. Um, we, look, you, you, I, I've had many conversations with people where you look back at the Holocaust and people say, how could that happen? How could people possibly believe the nonsense that the Nazis were spewing? How could people possibly go along with this? And I remember having this conversation way back in the Mesozoic era of my college days where somebody you know, was reading about how FDR had turned back Jewish refugees and said, how could people you know, stand by when genocide was going on. To give you a sense of my age, this was the mid-90s. The Balkans were still going on. Milosevic was storming, you know, right. the, the uh, massacres were occurring in the Balkans. And I was like, we're not intervening in a genocide now. It's, how different do you think it is? How, you know, um, this week, look, for a long time on college campuses and other corners of the United States, you could pretty much say anything about Israel and claim that it was anti-Zionist. Now, a lot of this stuff would come out as straight up, I hate Jews and anti-Semitic, but no, 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 it's just anti-Zionist. That's all. I, my problem is with the Israeli government, not with the Israeli people. Well, when you're chanting from the, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, you're, as I pointed out in that geography, there, there's, that, that's basically the there's western only one border. Place, and the there's only one place to go. There's only one place to go yeah, there. There's, there's no stretch of Israel that isn't covered by that territory. So when you're saying Palestine will be free, you're basically saying everything that's Israel right there, that's going to go away. Now, they're very vague on how it's going to go away. But look, you can be an Arab and you can be a Muslim in Israel and live a decent life, right? Now, I've heard, you know, it's, it's, some say that there's discrimination against Muslims. You know, it's not great, but it's not official state-sponsored. Um, you don't see Israelis getting together and beating up the Israeli citizen Arabs or Muslims in their midst. We see how Jews get treated in majority Palestinian communities. We see, like, they, they don't exist very much because there's always a given chance that Hamas or right. other folks like that are going to kill them. That is the state of things. Uh, you know, to, to, to use that, you know, unfortunately, uh, I mean, it's, it's now a cliche, but it doesn't make it any less true. If, if the Hamas lays down their arms, if Hezbollah lays down their arms, and you know, peace breaks out, everybody stops fighting. If Israel lays down uh, their arms, all the Jews die. All the Israelis get killed by Hamas and by Hezbollah and stuff like that. So, like, there's always been this bothersome, ugh, this darn cycle of violence. If only the two sides, and, like, well, the Israelis, like, would really love to live in peace. And it's, it's true. The cliche of the foreign policy columnist is to say, the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And it's a very gentle way of saying Israel has put a whole bunch of reasonable offers on the table over the past 30, 40 years. Now, do they get Palestinians get everything they want from that? No, no. But that's not the way things work out in the real world. You generally have to take half a loaf. You got to get something. Right. And they don't. Sorry, I, I realize I'm ranting now, Dwayne. So that, if you want to like uh, no, that, pause on me, you can. No, no, no. Go, go, go. Okay. So, you know, when, when, when Israel puts an offer on the table, Yasser Arafat, and all of these other Palestinian, Mahmoud Abbas, you know, it's like, well, it doesn't give us what we want, so we won't accept it. Let's also recognize that the reason Palestinians generally have thoroughly crappy leadership is because Hamas doesn't want anybody coming along as a rival. 
right? There are no Palestinian Gandhis. There are no Palestinian Martin Luther Kings because no. if they were, Hamas would murder them, right? There's a possibility you know, that Hamas does not accept. You know, there's only been one election in, back in the mid-2000s amongst the uh, Gaza Strip. Hamas won it, and they've never had a free and fair election since. One man, one vote, one time. Um, so it's look, you can sympathize with the Palestinians. They have gotten crapped on by you know the world by a whole lot. Whole Arab world loves to use them and wave the bloody shirt as a distraction from their own internal problems. But you notice it's not like other Arab countries are. Well, let's let's bring in all the Palestinian refugees. Let's you know they're perfectly happy to send money to Hamas. Spends a little bit of the money on humanitarian stuff. Spends most of the money accumulating weapons, and that's what we've ended up with this circumstance. So yeah, I have a little bit of sympathy for the Palestinians. I wish they had a better leadership. I wish they had they had non-terrorist leadership. I would, you know, but I also point out that you don't see a ton of Palestinians rising up and saying Hamas. You you know, all you do is generate misery. All you do is make the situation worse. You know, I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing a lot of crowds protesting the parading and beheading and lighting, you know, girls on fire in the public square. And that I, I'm not seeing a lot of protests. I'm sure seeing a lot of cheering uh, uh, and, 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 and hooting and hollering. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rapidly getting to the Sodom and Gomorrah part. It's, it's time to, it's time to just start over again. I, I, I don't know. Let's recognize if you're a Palestinian and you say Hamas, you shouldn't do this. You suck. There's a good possibility Hamas is just going to kill you, so or or imprison you or harass you or harass your family or stuff like that. So it is not a free society by any stretch of the imagination. But that's how you like you want to talk about the cycle of violence. That's the cycle of violence. The fact that there is no alternative. The Palestine Hamas has enough of a stranglehold on the Palestinian people that no alternative vision of how do we actually give the Palestinians a better life is allowed to. Uh, is allowed to exist. The only option is the eradication of, of Israel and its people. Okay, a couple minutes left. Uh, the the president, Joe Biden, has at least mentioned Iran in the context of the attacks on Israel, saying to a group of Jewish leaders at a roundtable, uh, I, I, I warn them to be careful. Does that mean he thinks that they had something to do with this, that they may have something to do with the next phase? And he's trying to warn. What what exactly does he mean, Jim? Uh, this is a time it would be great to have a really clear speaking, sharp minded president who chooses his words carefully. And unfortunately, we don't have that. I thought the president's remarks on Tuesday afternoon were very good by Joe Biden standards. Um, a couple people don't like it when I make that, you know, when I put in that caveat. But I think considering how the number of times we've seen Biden right. ramble. They're fine you know, for what they are, but they don't get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem has never been Hamas. The yeah. root of the problem is who's. It's very, yeah, very tough to believe that Iran did not have at least a significant role it's in this. strange not credulity to, to cite another foreign policy uh, person. Spent your entire administration bending over backwards, hell-bent for leather to resurrect the Iran nuclear deal, and this idea that the Iranians are some sort of reasonable... Rational uh, actors. You know, easy... Yeah. I mean, look, for the way people... From our policies in the Biden administration, Dwayne, you would think that at least some of the people advising our people making Iran policy were working for the Iranians. Really, it was only two of them. Yeah, only two of them. 
Uh, read all of Jim's stuff. Uh, get the jolt, which you should read every morning. It is just absolute gold over at National Review. Uh, Jim, thanks as always. Uh, Gary to the Indispensable. Dwayne in for Hugh. I'll be back right after the break. Stick around. Welcome back, America. Dwayne in for Hugh for one last quick segment. Joined from Israel by our friend Dr. Michael Oren, former Israeli diplomat and former member of Knesset, former member of the uh, of a previous Netanyahu government as a deputy prime minister. Uh, Dr. Oren, welcome back. Thanks for being here. I want to get your opinion of the unity government. Is that uh, how is that being received? How is that affecting the prosecution of the war against Hamas? Hey, Dwayne, good to be with you as always. Um, it's being the unity government is being applauded, welcomed, embraced by the vast majority of Israelis. Um, you know, it's it's a a tragic silver lining to the to this war and the, its atrocities and its horrors and its nightmares that before the war, we were deeply divided on multiple levels, uh, certainly the big opposition to the uh, government's judicial reform package, but also divisions between Jews from Eastern backgrounds, Jews from Western backgrounds, religious, secular, right and left, uh, all these different divisions. And uh, it, that tragic silver lining is that it took Hamas attacking us and massacring uh, now 1,300 Israelis to bring us all together and to bring uh, Benny Gantz and his blue and white party into a national coalition um, with Netanyahu, the Likud, and other parties. Um, and many, many times on this program, I have called for national unity. This is something I've said that this is what we need in order to get over the schisms. Uh, I hope that the national unity government will continue uh, after this crisis. We've, this will be the third national unity government we've had in our history, the first around the 1967 war, very successful. That was Menachem Begin joined that with Moshe Dayan. Um, in 1984, Yitzhak Shamir and Shimon Peres to deal with runaway inflation, very successful. Uh, let's hope that this will be successful too and that it will, um, it will continue to really address those fundamental issues that were dividing us before the war. Uh, Dr. Oren, I don't remember the, the, the absolute chronology or your timeline of, of public service. I don't remember if you were in the U.S. as an ambassador around the time of 9-11 or not, or uh, if you were even in, in the States at that time. But I remember distinctly how resolved, angry, and, and dedicated the U.S. was, at least in the days after 9-11, that we were going to go find these people and we were going to bring uh, justice to them once and for all. We, we at least had that mindset for a period of time. How is the Israeli resolve uh, in reaction to this now? Are they still in kind of shock and horror? But are they channeling it into we are going to end this and we're going to end this once and for all now? That's an excellent question, Jane, uh, really. Um, keep in mind, this is probably in Israeli proportional terms about 14, 15 times what 9-11 was. Sure. It, you know, we want to, no one doesn't want to compare tragedies, but you know, 3,000 Americans were, were, were murdered on, on 9-11. This would be the equivalent of about 40,000 uh, human beings. I'm just gauging mood. Yeah. I'm just gauging resolve. The result is I, I have been attending uh, funerals and mourning sessions, shivas, uh, and I talk to the families. People want vengeance. People want to end uh, the Hamas threat, to uproot Hamas, destroy Hamas virtually at any, any cost. And uh, that resolve is ironclad, ironclad. And I, Israelis understand implicitly the cost. They understand that we will be sending our army into a heavily mined, heavily booby-trapped warren 
uh, a labyrinth of, of buildings and alleyways that is a nightmare for you know any advancing military. Um, and so yeah, they're aware of it. We're also aware of the uh, potential cost to the civilian population of Gaza. This has happened round after round. Uh, the president, in his extraordinary speech uh, two nights ago, was really, with all the truly remarkable expressions of support for us and gestures of support for us, was also very clear in saying, you know, be careful. Uh, help me to help you uh, by avoiding as much as possible civilian casualties. Um, Israel is going to have to count, counterbalance that desire for revenge, that very deep need for revenge to uh, with uh, with caution, and uh, it'll be a huge, huge challenge for us. In addition, the question of the hostages. Um, and one of the examples I've given is, what would you think, Dwayne, if uh, after 9-11, in addition to killing 3,000 Americans, uh, Hamas, uh, yeah. Al-Qaeda had taken several hundred American hostages? Would that in any way uh, dampened American resolve to going after Al-Qaeda? We well, I I pray for the miracle, but the realism in me, I don't know if it's reflected in Israeli life, but uh, how how much of Israel thinks that sure they want to go in and they want to believe that they can be rescued and that and that you know the heroes can 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 repatriate them versus knowing deep down in, in the pit of your gut they're probably already dead, and so. We're going to be we're going to be. I don't think they're already dead. I, I, we don't know how many are already dead, but uh, we have to assume that, that there are great numbers alive. And there's been some indications uh, that Hamas wants to use them. He wants to use them as bargaining right. chips, wants to use right. them as human shields. They use their own as human shields. Why wouldn't they use the hostages as human shields? Um, and so it's, it's a, it, it is a tactical advantage for Hamas to keep them alive as much as they love killing Jews. Uh, um, 20, 20 and, seconds. We're, we're, we're up against the end of the show. 20 seconds. Is Hezbollah still holding holding uh, back, or are they making moves like they're going to get into the game? They're waiting to see what we do. I think, I think it would be very difficult if we invade Gaza for Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, to sit there sitting in Beirut. We'll probably have to do this. Dr. Michael Oren, stay safe. We will talk to you many times next week as well. Thank you for being here. Dwayne in for Hugh. That's the end of this edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hugh will be back tomorrow. He will have all the latest news. And uh, there there's still really is only one story. And we will continue it on the next edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.